Welcome to the Man Up, Man Down podcast, presented by Volker Baluda and David Pawsey. We discuss the pressures and challenges faced by men approaching middle age that we're often too embarrassed to speak about with our friends. You can find us online at www.manupdown.com. Enjoy the show and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Welcome to another episode of Men Up, Men Down. So today, David and I um, welcome Ian Saunders. Um, so Ian runs his own venture across storytelling, coaching, and creativity, dash work-life design. So he's the author of five books on working life, including his latest 365 Ways to Have a Good Day. So I reckon this is some kind of daily journal, right? Um, I do the math correctly. Ian is... Uh, Resolutely independent, curious, open-minded, and rebel-spirited, and that leads to him being a, having a pretty unconventional career. It's also given him a unique perspective on what makes people and organizations tick. His current gigs range from training leadership teams at global organizations in the art of storytelling to being an instructor for Silent Sinex Optimism Company, where he runs his redesign Your Workday class. Ian says that reaching middle age is a turning point, stepping into the real me. So he has a story about jumping in a lake, I think in Germany even. I don't know why you would want to jump in a lake in the first place, but particularly in Germany. But anyway, um, instead of jumping onto the Wi-Fi, redefining what success means to him. So I'm all curious to hear hear that story. And we are all work in progress. There's so much to talk about, um, including the love for tattoos in middle age, which ah. I can't see it, but uh, I only started three years ago. Uh, so anyway, Ian, first of all, welcome to the podcast and uh, apologies for the s s slow introduction, but there, there was so much to cramp in. Maybe you can give us an overview of, of what all you do and, you know, you're doing lots of different things. Thank you, Folker. Good to be here. Good to see you as well, David. Yeah, I'm kind of, we're kind of men of a similar age, aren't we? So I've had a 30-year career, doesn't feel that long, uh, in, in I suppose what we'd call the creative industries, nine years working inside a company and then the last gulp 23 years doing my own thing as an independent so we're all similar stories there and as you said in the intro yeah kind of around storytelling and rethinking how we design our work lives are kind of my core my core areas and it, and interesting you know you, you 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 use that phrase work in progress because i think i'm yeah very much a work in progress as a human being and i think also i've always been very willing to kind of like make it up as I go along. I don't mean that to sound sloppy, but to make it up as I go along in my business life and working life and to try things out. And I suppose that's the joy of working for yourself. You couldn't do that in an organizational role. So tell us about the lake. Let's jump Let's jump into the lake. Let's jump straight yeah. into the lake. <laughs> well, it's funny that something that at the time felt such a trivial uh, decision could turn out to be so pivotal. And I think, you know, it's it's a common, you know, we're faced every day, aren't we, with these choices we make about where we put our time and where we put our attention. Taking the dog out for a walk, doing yoga, going and having our favorite cup of coffee in the local coffee shop. And it was September 2019, Tuesday morning. I was in Bavaria where I had just been giving a talk at a company's away day around storytelling. And I, I'd finished, I was the first, uh, first speaker for the day and I was all done. And the organizer said, just feel free to chill out here at the hotel. You've got 90 minutes before the car comes to take you to Munich airport. And I thought, 
Well, I should really catch up on my emails. You know what it's like when you're traveling, you've neglected them, uh, and there was the Wi-Fi there, and I could have made myself a coffee. However, before I'd gone there, I knew that at the bottom of the hill, through the fog, was a lake. Starnberger's, eh? Lake Starnberg. So I had a choice, jump on the Wi-Fi or jump in a lake, and I chose the latter. And I uh, was a little way away from the lake. The women at the hotel gave me a key to the hotel Baderplatz and a, a map of how to get there. And I skipped down the hill, um, found this little gate, came out into a little opening under some trees and was met with this like glorious vista of this, the lake, no other human beings around. And I, and I dived into this lake and, and, and it was just such a, it was such a crystallizing experience. It was such a experience full of clarity. And it's funny that I say crystallizing and clarity because the, the water was crystal clear. But I went in that lake and I, and, and I actually felt very emotional when I came out. It really hit me. And I, you know what I realized there and then was that we have a choice about how we spend our time and where we put our attention. And that morning was a crystallizing experience for me that we can live our life straightjacketed by what we think we should do. Or we can live our life like making the choices about what we really wanted to do. Oh, yeah, I should really be on Wi-Fi catching up on emails. You know, uh, I was going to swear. Uh, you know, screw that. You're allowed to swear. You're allowed to swear. Thank you. Fuck, fuck that. <laughs> okay, fuck that. Let's let's do what we really, what, what you know, what we're all about, especially, you know, when we reach this stage in our lives. And it's funny, isn't it? I never knew at the time this was going to be such a huge thing for me. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. We didn't go on journeys to Bavaria, but it was such a touchstone for me about what life is about for me. And I know this is audio, so yeah, no point, but for the benefits of you two, uh, you know, of, of my very first tattoo at the age of 54 uh, of, of the lake. Uh, and it's there, you know, when times are tough, if I'm not feeling great, when there's difficult things happening, I just, you know, look at my wrist and I remember that. And, uh, uh, yeah, there it is there, that picture of the lake where I took on my phone. So at the time, like a cigarette paper between uh, do the Wi-Fi, whatever, but actually reflecting at a really important choice about what it is to do things aligned with who you really are. So were you, were you already sort of into like open water swimming or like, you know, well, and well, sorry, what, what time of year was it? Uh, September. Yeah, the, the Germans, uh, the Germans uh, there went, oh, it'd be very cold. But I swim in the Thames Estuary. Uh, but I'm not a, David, I'm not an all round uh, cold water swimmer. So I won't, uh, I, I'm a fair weather swimmer. And actually, I'm not, I'm not even a great kind of swimmer. I don't have any great technique. But for me, getting submerged in the water, having a swim like that, just going is, is amazing. So yeah, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I always say my swimming trunks everywhere. But I, I, when I looked on the map, about where I was going, I thought, oh, I wonder if I have any time off, so I'll pack, pack the swimming trunks. Yeah, I was just, I mean, I, well, I'm, I'm well into my swimming, and, well, as uh, regular listeners will know, last year I invested in a cold water barrel. Wow. <laughs> but I, mean, I, I sort of, I was February, again, well before the pandemic, I ended up being sort of talked into going into the sea in uh, Brighton in February. Wow. And I've, I've heard a lot about the benefits of cold water therapy and stuff. 
but I, I, you know, genuinely came out sort of feeling like I'd been reborn. You know, it was almost like <laughs> baptism or something. Yes. So, yes. You know, I, I can sort of, and again, I'm like, well, was it because the water was so cold? You know, was it just kind of putting yourself out of your comfort zone? But um, yeah. I mean, you know, it's sort of at the time it was more of a dare, you know, like, <laughs> but, but, you know, and then I came out thinking, wow, yeah, you know, I didn't expect that. So, I mean, what, what were the immediate sort of changes in your life that, that came about as a result of your, uh, or getting in the water rather than the Wi Fi? Yeah, I think it's like, uh, I think it was a very powerful manifestation of kind of what I knew all along. And I think I'd reminded myself because, you know, even in all these years of working for myself, I sometimes have that kind of, you know, that work ethic of, oh, you know, am I, because where we live here is very tidal. So you can only, it's not like Brighton, you can only swim when it's like really, really high tide. So that might mean you'll go for a swim at 11.15 or you go for a swim at three o'clock. And I used to feel a bit like guilty about that. Uh, and I would, if I was putting on Instagram, I'd go, oh yeah, lunchtime swim. And I was like, why are you worried about that? You know, like you've chosen, you working with yourself is really hard. You've chosen this path. Why are you beating yourself up on that work ethic? And that was a turning point for me. This was before the Bavaria swim where I thought, you know, follow the high tide. I will not put a call in, a client call in when it's three o'clock because I'm always looking on my phone when the tide times are. So that was a, that was a bit of a turning point, David. I think the other thing was, um, having done that, I suppose it's it's kind of like, you know, having it tattooed on my arm makes it, it's kind of like set in stone, isn't it? You know, like an old stone tablet of like, this is who we are. You know, it's like, it's there forever. And and it's kind of like a, a manifesto or I know it's a visual thing, but it's kind of like, it's a reminder about living my life and what, mat and what matters. Do, do you have more tattoos than that? No, no, but every I don't know about you and your your tattoos, Folker, but yeah, everyone said to me, "Oh, when you get one, you just want more." And I went, "No, no, I won't." And now I've got one. I'm like, "What's the next one going to be?" <laughs> yeah, so I started a week into lockdown. We don't we don't need to talk about my tattoos, and and I got a little one, you know, on on my arm. I mean, right, and it says, you know, fall down seven times, get up eight. And while <laughs> I was on my way there, I decided I get a little um little tattoo here. On my upper arm, which you know is, is a, is a um, on sign, and since then, I mean, listeners can't see it, but my my whole left arm is tattooed. My back, my my wow. um, you know, my right arm, you know, I, I I'm covered. Essentially. <laughs> so I've been, uh, you know, I've been busy for the yeah. last three years. So so three years in, um, you know, and and don't ask me why. I think it's just it just happens, right? Yeah. That's why I was curious, but I, I I love the idea of 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 having the Sternberger Sie on your on, on your arm, you know. So yeah, yeah. Reminder for it, and also it's a you know what Volker, it, it it's it's a, it is actually a talking point. I mean, maybe not in the winter, but I was at a I was at a conference in the summer in uh, just outside of Lisbon in in Sintra, and I was queuing up for coffee, and a lovely German guy called uh, Tillman started talking to me, and he's like, "What's what's the you know what's the t what's the tattoo and as a st you know i i'm a storyteller i help people in organizations tell stories and it's kind of like you know always have a story up your sleeve right <laughs> and it, and it was like as we were queuing for coffee i told a version a shorter version of the story i've just told you so you know you're passing the spark because of what's on your arm amazing i'm certainly uh 
well, I'm I'm sort of more in uh, your sort of your field, Ian, in terms of of well, I got one when I was forty. Okay, again, it is basically a uh, a quote: "We suffer more in imagination than in reality," um, which is like a quote from Seneca, Greek philosopher. Yeah, but, I like you know, that one. Again, it, again, it's that thing of you know because I suffer from anxiety, and it's just sort of a reminder of it's never as bad as you think. You know, it's. Uh, just, you know, you've got to take a step back from these things and and, and think. Yeah. You know what? I like that. I think that's that's powerful, David. I, I'm going to look up that Seneca quote. It uh, speaks <laughs> speaks to me as well. Speaks to me. And so, what I mean, like in, in terms of of you know the storytelling. Um, I mean, I'm sort of in a, a similar field. I'm a content writer and copywriter. I mean, so have you always had like a, lo- a love of stories? Yeah, I've always had a love of stories. I suppose a lot of us do, don't don't we, as kids? And and I had a it was rare in the, rare for, for, for amongst my peer group anyway. In the nineteen seventies, a bit older than you, but in the nineteen seventies, growing up, we didn't have a TV set for the first ten years of my life, and people at school didn't believe me. But we had a radio, mm. and and I think I fell in love with that medium first, and then was like, I want to work in broadcasting, which which I did, and I think my love of stories was at the heart of that, and. I haven't always been a kind of professional storyteller. In a way, what's happened is that I've kind of discovered, I suppose I discovered firsthand the power of what happens when you share your story. And that was a turning point for me because, you know, my story was that um, I worked in an organization for nine years and then I went freelance to do my own thing. And I wrote, I wrote a book about it called Leap ditch your job, start your own business and set yourself free. And it was before a lot of people were freelance, before we had Wi-Fi and everyone was working in coffee shops. And I'd gone freelance in 2007 and I'd written this book, but I'd never been honest about why I'd gone freelance. And the real reason was that I I had gone from loving my job to uh, finding things really difficult. And not uh, not just in my job, but like life. And I'd been diagnosed with depression and I couldn't really cope with what I had on and I was quite troubled, um, you know, young man, I guess. And I couldn't cope. And that was the reason I'd quit my job, but I hadn't felt I could be open about that. And what changed was, a long time after going freelance, in 2015, I got asked to speak at this wonderful event, the Do Lectures. I don't know if you're familiar with the Do Lectures. It's a wonderful event, takes place every year in Wales. I was asked to tell a story and I was asked to give a talk, tell a story I hadn't told before, be really honest. And I was talking to my wife, Zoe, and she said, well, why don't you tell the real story for the first time? I stood on stage and I told the real story about, you know, where things had gone wrong and my struggle with depression and poor mental health. And that's how I'd, why I'd gone and worked for myself. And I think that, that was a turning point for me in a number of different ways. I certainly kind of came of age as a storyteller because I understood what happens when you stand up and you tell your real story. And I mean, it's there for everyone to see if you search on Ian Sanders, do lecture. I mean, I nearly, nearly, um, very nearly kind of cry. Certainly my voice cracks with emotion. But what happens is, I'm sure, you know, you know from doing this podcast for two seasons is that when you're vulnerable out loud, it forms relationships with others. And a lot of people contacted me and still find me sometimes on Instagram or whatever, eight years after giving that talk to say how much it touched them. A lot of men do that, that my story was their story. That 
that was the act. I mean, I never knew this at the time when I said I'd do the talk, but then, then that kind of became a turning point because that was my honest and raw story, unedited. And then I realized the power of story and I started evangelizing with leaders in organizations. What happens when you're you stand up and vulnerable, how it builds trust and builds relationships. So that, you know, not only did was that a turning point for me in my midlife, in a good way, the, the path back towards the real me, but also it was kind of like a catalyst for reinventing myself as a, as a what I do as a storyteller. I mean, uh, you've obviously sort of said that we can sort of go and check out the, uh, the talk, but I mean, could you perhaps give us the, well, don't want to say highlights, but because uh, honestly, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, a, yeah. a great curve. No, sure, it was, it was a tough one. It was the hardest talk I've ever given. And part of that, I think, was the honesty. I mean, I was in a barn in Wales in a very empathetic 80 people who, you know, were very full of empathy for and support. I suppose what I, to answer your question, David, I mean, I think that uh, the crux of it, and it's where it's funny, isn't it? If you zoom in on where you get the emotion, that where I got the emotion was putting up a slide of a photograph of me as a young boy and then talking about getting lost in my late 20s, early 30s and saying, you know, I, I lost my way and I didn't have anyone to show me the way. And then if only I'd asked the young, my younger self to what to do, you know, my younger self would have helped me. And, and I don't know if that resonates with either of you, but that sense of, you know, as a young man, I was very um, purpose-driven. You know, I knew what I wanted. I was very um, clear about my path. And I think when I got lost in my professional life, what I needed to do was kind of find that younger archetype to um, help me navigate forward. So, um, and and you know what it's like. I mean, fortunately, the world has changed, hasn't it? You know, you're, you guys doing man up, man down, talking about mental health, being open. I didn't feel 20 two years ago that I could really stand up as a man who was trying to build a business as a freelancer and talk about my struggles in mental health because who wants to hire the bloke that was depressed and then I realized I mean it sounds a bit of a cliche doesn't it but then I realized that actually the courage and the vulnerability and being able to be confident and say yeah this is me and actually you know over the years I've had you know, I had a lovely woman hire me to do a workshop at the Development Bank of Wales in, in Cardiff. And, you know, when, one reason she hired me was because she, she just said that she'd seen my do lecture. And, and I guess maybe that just, I mean, she wasn't hiring me to help with the vulnerability. I was doing a, quite a corporate gig. It was many years ago. But I suppose when you put yourself out there and show who you really are, it, it says something about you, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'd certainly say, you know, there, there's sort of episodes that we've done where, you know, I've, I've particularly thought, oh, did I go too far there, you know? And, yeah, you know, it, it can be a fine line between vulnerability, as you say, because it's kind of being open and honest. But at the same time, as you say, you're kind of like, yeah, you're putting yourself in the position where, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, that's, that's the person that sort of goes through depressive periods, you know, so... Like he might disappear. Yeah. Sort of. yeah, that's the risk. That's the risk, isn't it? And I think, you know, at the time, some friends, maybe male friends, because I'm not on Facebook these days, but I was then when I put that up there, some people kind of reaching out went, oh gosh, you know, wow, that was great. Thank you for sharing it. And some 
some blokes didn't talk about it at all. It was never, it was never to be mentioned again. <laughs> did, did you did you find you got a lot of support, or did that other people then got encouraged to talk about it as well? Because I think that's that's what we find. You know, and David, correct me here, right? And 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 as you say, yeah. right, the times have changed, right? Thirty years ago, twenty years ago, right? You didn't talk about these things. You know, like even. You know, and yeah, you know, it's without wanting to to mock my parents as such, but you know, my, my parents' generation, right? If if they hear, you know, someone is depressed, oh, that's not real. That's not really a thing. You know, stress is not really a thing. You know, t toughen up, right? M men up, right? Right? Yeah, that's it's men up. Coming from, yeah, you know, so, yeah, you can't see it. It doesn't exist. It's not. It's it's not an illness, right? And I think that has changed, obviously, which is great. It has changed. I had no idea, Volker, that talking about it and just telling it i mean i kind of i was being quite selfish in a way i'm a bit like therapy you know i didn't have to pay for a therapist go and stand on stage and tell your story i hadn't appreciated that people especially as it lives digitally forever would see this talk 20 minute talk and reach out to me and say it was helpful say that it changed their path i mean you know i've had a couple of people who reached out and said it changed completely how they thought about what they were doing in their life and gave them a validation to kind of do their own thing. And I'm like, I mean, that's wonderful to hear, but I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, so that all that surprised me. All that surprised me. And um, and yeah, as you say, from you, you guys hosting the podcast, you know, that is the that's kind of the net result that maybe we don't always anticipate from being vulnerable, especially, yeah, growing up in a culture where... Um, I remember having a difficult time once with my, my grandfather, lovely guy, no longer with us, you know, who had grown up, who'd been in the military and been, you know, it was like, you must never cry, you know. And uh, and I'm, as a, as a father of two teenage boys, now I'm getting emotional, um, you know, to, to say, you know, it's, it's fine and good to cry and to be comfortable with that and say that that is a strength as a man Hence that backdrop of, you know, growing up in the 1970s and 1980s is like, you know, I know we have challenges of our time, but I'm like, you know, that, you know, fills me with courage and confidence that I, I you know, I can help bring up two young men to be emotionally um, intelligent and be emotionally open. Man Up, Man Down is sponsored by Welldoing. As someone who has seen a counsellor for a number of years, I think their approach is great. They want you to find the mental health professional who is right for you. You can filter your search to highlight therapists with expertise where you need it, or you can pay to use their personalised matching service. The people who run Welldoing are experts in mental well-being, and they also have loads of posts and interviews to keep your mental health in good shape. Take a look at welldoing.org. Well, I think, you know, that is kind of, you know, that's what drives us, isn't it? Is, is create, well, making, hoping to make our children better versions of ourselves. We literally talked about it on an episode recently, right? Um, t teenage kids. I mean, I, I have two teenage boys, one, one early teenage, 12, and the other one, 14, right? And, and being able to influence them, right? And um, I, I keep quoting that poem, right? Uh, if, if I know, remember who it was by, but, you know, where it says, you know, our, our mum and dad fucked us up, right? You know, yes. Yeah, it's a the book as well, wasn't it? You know, yeah. because I, I do a psychotherapist course at the moment, and, and my my trainer quotes that poem all the time. He he memorized it. I mean, I maybe I should memorize it as well. But that's that's what parents do, right? Getting tattooed. Maybe maybe wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Still got yeah, some space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's it's just yeah. 
you know, we, we try not to do that. We try to learn from our mistakes, right? Which hopefully then, I mean, then there's this theory that every generation rebels against the generation of, of their parents, which means then, you know, if, if we're really nice to our kids, then they're going to be really shit to their kids, right? Um, but I hope, I hope that it's not the case, right? Yeah, that we can ch- change that. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think also there's a th- thing here about the world of work. So, you know, I was a managing director of a radio studio company at the point where I had my kind of crisis. And actually my boss or bosses, you know, were actually for that time, the late night end of the millennium, you know, were supportive in a way like try a four day week, take three weeks off on full pay and go and sit on the beach in Thailand. They didn't want to lose me. However, when I reflect on that choice, it felt very, very binary. Stay in your job. I can't cope with my job. I couldn't cope with my life. So I quit. But I wonder really whether actually it's not always that black and white. Maybe in the world of work in 2023, if I said that as a young rising executive in an organization, they might have said, uh, well, we've got a counselor you can see or a therapist or, you know, have you thought about, you know, maybe you've got too much on, let's bring someone else to. And, I'm, uh, you know, I think actually, you know, at the time for the times we're in, I was, I was in a good environment. My bosses were supportive. But I think we're in, you know, we're in different times now. And actually, it took me a little while to figure out that I actually needed to go see a therapist. And that was a turning point for me. And actually seeing a therapist, you know, was a, was a turning point about, about a, a positive turning point for me. And it's funny, I told you the story about my grandfather saying you must never cry because I saw this Australian, I, I was living in Southwest London at the time and I saw this, I saw this therapist, Australian guy, Brian wrote, Dr. Brian wrote, he's still alive. And he, he used to be an Aussie rules football player who was then a, then a therapist. And at the end of the first session where I had bawled my eyes out, he gave me a book that he'd written, which is still commercially available. And the book is called A Safe Place to Cry. So, you know, kind of came, um, yeah, a bit of a full circle. And yeah, I mean, it's like, I, well, something that, that me and Volker often talk about is, you know, both, well, we've both got sons that play football every weekend. And, you know, and it's just so interesting sort of seeing other parents and, you know, how they sort of react. And the number of times, you know, I've heard dads like, don't you dare cry, don't, don't you cry, you know, to sort of 10 year olds. And it's like, I, you know, I can, in some ways I can see sort of both sides of it. But yeah, you know, having someone, you know, I'm, I'm, I just sort of look at it and think that kid's going to be in therapy when they're older because, you know, it's yeah. it's sort of, yeah. it's not necessarily the message don't cry, but it's so aggressive. You know, it's like yeah. there's serious consequences if you show emotion. And yeah, and, you yeah. know, we had a guest on like quite recently, um, you know, who went to boarding school and he, you know, and he said that basically, again, that's kind of like the, the dogma is you do not show emotion, you know, and, and it's, well, I guess that, you know, British tradition of the stiff upper lip and you, you just get on and, and, you know, and I think it is obviously when you do chuff things down, you get to a certain point in life where, yeah, it, you know, it manifests itself like in a breakdown or anxiety, but you know, it is kind of like, well, it is papering over the cracks essentially, isn't it? Well said. Yeah, I think that's a good way of thinking about it. I think if you don't deal with things, you paper over the cracks, they come to bite you on the bum. 
and that was my story anyway and um yeah part of being part of being honest about who i really was and was the turning point and in a way sometimes i feel oh i wish i could have done that earlier in my life but maybe sometimes you have to wait with the maturity of approaching middle age had the confidence and the courage to do that so maybe i just needed to wait for that but yeah being open and honest maybe it's not for everyone but being raw being open and honest this is who i am being kind of transparent about that did prove to be a turning point for me personally as a husband as a father as a human being and as a small business owner so does it have to do with midlife i don't know i mean I, yeah, this is the territory you know you're the experts this is a territory you 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 host on these podcasts you know about the, the midlife thing but i do think it's significant that i've had these moments of epiphany and clarity complete with tattoos and standing on stage you know in 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 midlife because i think what happened with me is that my midlife has been about finding the real me and the real me wasn't a new me the real me was like an old me that i'd kind of lost sight of and without romanticizing it i don't know if this resonates with both of you but without romanticizing it i kind of go back to the touchstone of who i was as a teenager confident creative funny you know empathetic helpful thoughtful you know all those hallmarks of who i was as a teenage boy a teenager 18 year old you know i i find great strength in kind of having those as values for who i am as a 54 oh, no i'm 55 55 year old and i think that is about the passage of life so it's kind of like that was you've got the 18 year old and you've got the 55 year old who are very very similar and then i think where it all went wrong in the middle the second act of the story, the challenge, the obstacle, was where I had I got troubled and I'd, I'd lost sight of who I really was. And it was also, maybe no coincidence, at a point in my career where I got seduced by, I mean, I was only young, it was only a small company, but being, you know, being, a, being on the board of a company, being the MD, whereas really, you know, I'm a very creative soul and I think I would have been much happier, fulfilled, would maybe not have had that episode of depression if I'd stuck to you know, the pure creative path, because actually I was seduced by this path of being the MD and the money and the share options. It all felt very sexy, but I'm not really sure looking back that was me. And I think having to navigate a career path where I felt I should do certain things, I should wear a smart jacket, I should be good at spreadsheets, I should, you know, stop going to indie gigs. And that, that guy wouldn't have got the tattoo. Uh, or be going to Johnny Margix. So, you know, there was a, I suppose the midlife thing is like a reflection on the journey and then like resetting, <laughs> resetting the compass and the North Star heading towards me. You know, am I always headed towards Ian? I think, I think we, we discussed that, right, David? What, what Ian just said, right? You get to middle age and you're looking back what, what would have been the perfect blueprint, right? What, what should I have been doing? And you just follow into the footsteps of, you know, obviously most of us, what our parents wanted for us, right? Or what we thought our parents wanted for us. So still money driven, but driven. But when when I left school, I I didn't become a teacher or quit university after two years to become an NLP trainer because I was money driven, you know, and 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 I was driven <laughs> to finish that really important degree because without a degree, you're nothing in life, right? 
and then I moved on to to, yeah. to work in sales, and you know, and you know, don't, don't want to talk about me, but that's what we do, right? We we just pull onto the footsteps until we get to a point, yeah. and, and maybe that's where midlife crisis comes in, that you know, or midlife anyway, midlife. Um, yeah. What did someone use the other day? Midlife revelation, right? It's a, a realization, right? Where you say, "Shit, this is not the life I wanted," right? Because I remember when when I was sixteen, seventeen, I wanted to get a tattoo, and it was too expensive. I wanted to get a wolf, wolf tattoo and an eagle tattoo, as you do in the eighties, right? And and I got both now, right? And uh, yes, I could afford them both as well. And uh, it, as I say, it almost made me complete because that's what I always wanted, but. You know, the, the person that was striving for whatever I was striving for, you know, oh, you, you wouldn't get a tattoo, right? If someone sees that, imagine someone sees that you have a tattoo, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. What would they think? Yeah. What people think about my tattoos, right? Yeah. I'm smiling, Volker, because that's kind of my story. I think I was heading towards, you know, the money. And I and I, the, the, there's a chart that I had on my do lecture, which we've probably seen versions of on LinkedIn, but I actually did this back in 2015. And you know, there's there's two charts, and the first chart is a is a straight line uh, from from the left hand from the left hand going up to the right, which is that's what I thought my life path would be about: more money, more seniority. That's what I thought. That's what my father's career path had been like. And actually, on the right, I've got reality where you've got you know, ball of spaghetti lines because, you know, depression, you know, and then of course, this, as we all know, the self-employed journey is very up and down, you know, you have, you know, all kinds of curveballs that you face. It's not a linear career path, but I actually learned in that ball of spaghetti, that's kind of where the interesting things happen. And yeah, you know, let's be honest, especially at this time, we need to earn money. We've all got our, our children and families and we've got to bring money in. But I think where I stopped Stop chasing the money and started following me. That's that that was where things and that's where the line, I would argue, is almost becoming more straight because you're following your path. You're following your path. You don't follow someone else's path. You, you, it, it will never be a straight line because I mean, as yeah. we all know, right? As soon as you start working for yourself, you, you know, whilst the beauty is, you can start looking left and right, right? I mean, you know, I you can pivot, right? I I discuss it in the course I'm doing. Yeah, it's a moment as well. You 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 know. I started off wanting to be a coach, became an interim, became an interim and fractional, and now I'm a consultant and 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 sales coach, right? So that's 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 my new position. Will I change that now to sales enablement? Is the next question. I mean, you know, but it's still in the wider context. But it's it's following a path, right? It's going somewhere. You know, there's I I don't I don't yeah. claim there's a master plan, but it's it there's a plan, there's a direction. Right, and 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 I think when when you don't follow, or when 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 you first start going self-employed, there's not not as much direction. But as you as you're on that path, it, it becomes it becomes, I think, at some point, much much clearer. You're right. Yeah, no, that's a good reflection. I hadn't thought of it like that. And and you're right because you know I'm quite obsessive about the the north, what the north star looks like. So that is a clear that is a clear line, and. You know, I'm a very black and white person. There's no ambiguity about the signal on my wrist of what that is and what that means. And, um, you know, that was at the heart of my book, really. 365 Ways to Have a Good Day is really just a guide about zooming in and what really matters. And we're all different. You know, we, there's a lot of commonality between the three of us. Some of your listeners will be like, I'm not going to get a tattoo in a million years. And that's fine, isn't it? You know, their love is, you know, going to music festivals or going to the football or having the cold water swim or, 
doing a marathon, you know, I've got I've got a thing on my pin board here and it says, if it matters, you, be- yeah. you better make time for it. Whatever it is, you know, I'm obsessive about my coffee and I live, it, live uh, you know, two minutes from a coffee shop here in Leon C that does really good, amazing coffee. You know, that matters. I go there and have my coffee in the morning and friends of me go, why don't you just have your coffee at home? And it's like, it's not about that. It's about the ritual. It's about the people. It's about the, you know, a lot of different things. And I think if it matters, make time for it is a really, you know, is a really important, really important mantra. I like that because it's, um, you know, how often, I mean, I, I, I see that all the time. And, and David knows that is, I, I actually have in my diary, I have the time that the kids come home from school and people can laugh at me as much as they want. And I like it. I try not to put meetings over that because even if I can have five minutes, and to be honest, my oldest doesn't come home this, you know, he just goes and plays with his mates, right? But I'm, I'm trying to take five minutes when they come home and just be with them and be present. Because how often do we just, you know, and, and this week is probably the perfect example for me where I'm literally at my desk from eight till eight and, and just getting on with shit, right? And you you forget to make time for the important time. I'm going to steal that quote. Please do. Please steal that. And I've made a note about, it's funny, you know, I got uh, one of my, my eldest is 18 and um, I'm very fortunate. I've got this attic workspace here. So I've got a big space up here. He's thinking about university and what he's going to do and all the rest of it. And and it just, I heard him, I heard him come in, I had the door open. I was playing music really loud and he just came up and, you know, had a really lovely chat and it was so special. I wrote it down in my little list of good times, which I write in my notebook all, I've been doing it for, 10 years, I write down just a little list every week of good things, work, business, whatever. Talking to Folker and oh, David who will be in there tonight. And, and um, I, I mentioned that actually because that's sometimes I might have thought, no, I haven't thought this about my children, but oh God, that was a bit of a distraction. Um, you know, I was meant to be, but actually noting, acknowledging and paying attention to what that, how positive that chat was and how much I loved that with Barney yesterday will make, make time for it. And that's why putting down the time they come in should be 4 p.m. in this household when the boys come in to just be present and pop downstairs and go, hey, how are you doing? I love I love that, Volker, and, and I hadn't even thought about or, it. Or we, or we step to share. I mean, the, the thing is, we, we, we get so locked down in our day today, right? We're planning our days, right? And like like literally, I have I have breakfast in there so to, to remind myself when, when, when the boys need to have breakfast and I know what time they leave. So I try not to schedule calls before 8.30. Right, so so I don't have to be away for breakfast, <laughs> and you know, which for some people are like, oh, but why do you start working before nine anyway, right? But you know, it's just my 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 life is different. I get up at five, you know, you know, I'm I'm up and running by seven, like, literally. You know, it's like I don't have breakfast, so I'm like that time, you know, I, I I wouldn't be around. But it's 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 making it's making that time, right? Or when your wife comes home from work, or you know, whatever, yeah. or your partner, or whatever, you know, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I remember as a moment where my son was like, oh, you know, will you come up to the park and play football? And I was just kind of like, oh, you know, I've got other things that I need to do. And and then I went up there and I was just like, yeah, I mean, you know, we're kicking the ball around and I'm like, I know there'll be a day where I would give anything to be able to kick a ball around with my son, you know, maybe that's because you know i get so old i can't walk or but you know it, it's or you know he grows up it, you know and it's yeah is that thing of just trying to sort of be in the moment isn't it 
but ah, uh, you know, obviously we like always like to give uh, Stephen Bartlett a good a shout out to to help him up oh, with the ship. You know, but um, there was like an interview that he did recently with Ashley Waters, who uh, plays Top Boy, who uh, Vol will know exactly what I'm talking <laughs> <No> about. <idea. laughs> basically, it's a very popular TV program on Netflix. I know um, Top Boy, yeah. But basically, and, you know, Ashley Waters had quite well. He was like in a youth detention centre when he was young, and he, you know, he's 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 sort of had a, a troubled life, shall we say? And, and you know, and Stephen Bartlett, sort of one of the questions he, he asked was, "Well, would you change that?" And he's like, "Well, no, because I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be who I am and where I am without the stuff that's formed me as a person." And you know, and that's the well, the attitude that I always try and take is there's always a yin to the yang, but you know, and also yeah. you know, it's well, I know this is one of Volker's sort of favorite quotes as well. Um, I think it was was it Steve Jobs, but it, it's sort of like you don't know the stepping stones until you look back, and you know, and and it's almost like those things of. Well, I mean, for example, as I've mentioned, um, well, we had a few technical issues during the recording of this podcast, and part of that is because I'm I'm in a new new office, I just moved into a new office, but I'm with a couple of guys that I was in a co-working space with, oh, I don't know, five years ago, and you know, it's not I've stayed in touch with them, obviously, but you know, that contact might have been once a year or once every six months, but then suddenly. You know, I'm I'm back in a co-working space, and it's like, well, yeah, you know, these these things always come together. But um, I think we're pretty much at the end of time. Unfortunately, um, yeah. Uh, if it's unfortunate, but I think I mean, it's 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 we all feel, as David often says, and I, I I don't disagree. Maybe we should make the podcast double the length because it feels like at at forty fifty minutes we just get going and and, and go deeper. But there's so much, you know, we discussed the end. So I think there's so much, you know, we if I say we all have in common, right? And we, we all share. And, you know, it, it's, 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 I say it's, it's great to talk about that. And it's good to talk about it. I, I actually, before before David wraps up, I have one last question. If, if you could just give us, if I say a snapshot of all your books you've written and which, if I say which ones you recommend, obviously you, you recommend all of them to read. But I, <laughs> I signed up to your newsletter as well. Um, I did that. So, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, look, the, 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 you know, the, the, the books are all about navigating yeah. this new world of work. You know, there was one called Juggle about being multidimensional, Leap, uh, Mashup, which was kind of the sister book to Juggle about why being multidimensional can be better than singular. But I think, you know, the book, the, the book that sums it all up for me is really 365 Ways to Have a Good Day, which was my lockdown project, which was written from all the little nuggets that I'd written down in my pocket notepads for years and it's just reflections about what we need to have a good day and a lot of themes we've talked about today David when you were talking about you know playing football choosing to go to the park because how many more times could you do that you know I think that really speaks to me and that's a point in the book about you know paying attention to these things and then being intentional about making time for them so you know Volker with uh, making sure he's present when the kids come home you going up to the park me making time to have a chat with my son about his you know, uni thoughts yesterday. It's like, you know, pay attention to what we need and then being intentional about building that into our life. And um, the book is a bit of a guide for that. Excellent. And then, um, I mean, are there any social channels that you're on particularly where people can find you? Yeah, you can find me on um, Instagram uh, as Ian Sanders, as my name, and um, iansanders.com. Excellent. 
And sorry, I've got to ask. So uh, you said you were playing loud music. What what were you listening to when your song came in? What was I, you know what I want to say? I, I have been listening to a lot of the national, right. very into the national. I saw the national last uh, like, two weeks ago at Alexandra cool. Palace in London. I'm going to be really honest. I'm going to be really honest because this is a podcast about being honest. Yesterday afternoon, I was playing a cheesy 80s mix, courtesy of Spotify, which was some artists perhaps I wouldn't normally uh, confess to listening to. There might have been some Deacon Blue. There might have been some Prefab Sprout. So it wasn't, I, don't, I won't get any cool points. But I was, you know, I was I was probably, you know, air drumming or like even at worst, maybe singing along. It was doing it enough. Excellent. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I I love my music, and I my attitude is, you know, if it makes you tap your foot, then you know, there's nothing off limits. I I like I like a bit of adder. Hell yeah, but, hell yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, let's not be snob- let's not be snobbish about it. Yes, we can, we we can't all be Matt Berninger, the national that all no. right. Right. Well, anyway, I think it's time to to wrap up. So thanks yeah, very thank much, you. Ian. It's been a great chat. Thanks very much for your time. I really enjoyed it. I felt that was a very important conversation. So thank you for that. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Feel free to reach out to Volker or David via our website, www.manupdown.com or podcast at manupdown.com with any feedback or to let us know what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. Hear you again soon.